Welcome to On My Own Dime. I'm your host, Jason McCormack. My guest today is MC, vocalist, songwriter, producer, and cultural organizer, Coco Pela. Her new EP just dropped this month. It's called Confessions of a Black Feminist Rapper, Part 3. She's probably best known right now for an amazing song about reproductive justice called I Am Jane Roe. She weaves through pop culture and political history, addressing the overturning of Roe v. Wade. She's the founder of Black Gold Movement, a grassroots organization whose mission is to reverse the flow of resources from the West back to Africa along the transatlantic slave trade routes through hip-hop, storytelling, and music of the African diaspora. Coco and I were already talking for a while before we hit record, so let's jump in where we left off. Yes. Um, because so many of us have have to work a day job and still do our creative work as well. Well, what I was saying to Jason and what I will say to all of you listening <laughs> is I believe and that I have learned that our only job is really to like do anything that we can to get out of our own way. And I would say even more like not block our our calling, our purpose, or our destiny. So whatever work we need to do, whether that means having a second job to be able to afford to fund that calling and that gift, or whether it is leaving a job that's draining you that isn't your calling, you know, and taking a pay cut or a temporary pay cut, I do believe, or whether it is you know, getting a therapist and working on your early childhood trauma so that you don't self-sabotage or shrink or hide from, you know, your calling or any other set of practices that help us kind of, I guess that humble us, you know, enough to really be like open and willing to become a vessel for whatever it is that our life's purpose is trying to express. And I feel like that's, it's like no small feat, which is why being a human is such a complex, beautiful, painful, challenging, (laughs) amazing, you know, gift. But it, you know, so I was, I was just saying, yeah, be about the work of allowing that, that blessing and that calling to come through and it's not easy because as humans, we're so limited. You know, we have so many limitations. I like that you thought of that because sometimes I feel <laughs> like the great shame is like that we only have one life because there's so much interesting stuff you could learn to do. But yeah, to do it well takes a lifetime in a lot of cases. So as one person with one lifetime, you could only master so many things if, if you're interested in a lot of things that can be a, a burden in itself where you're like, okay, I really need to pick the most important things to me and, and buckle down, focus on those. Uh, so I like that you addressed like the limitations of just being a human in time. <laughs> well, yeah. And the one thing I'll say is just that, like, I think that that actually is part of why we have to, or it behooves us to like slow down and get still and, get very clear about what our calling is and what our purpose is. Because I think once you get clear and tap into what your calling and your purpose is, 
the way that it's expressed can happen in a multitude of, you know, places or a multitude of ways, right? So we were talking before you hit record about, you know, the limitations of like how one might imagine, you and I knew each other in our 20s or met in our 20s, early 20s. I was in my early 20s. I was actually 19. I was about to say, I was like, oh, maybe. (laughs) Okay, so I was 21. And so, yeah, like at the time, for example, I was like, okay, this is my vision. I started really taking rap serious at, at 17. I started rapping, writing raps at like 11 and songwriting at 11. But at 17, that's when I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it. And my plan was like, all right. So I got, you know, like eight years and then by 25, I'm going to blow up as a rapper. Oh my gosh. And then I'm gonna... I had that expectation too. For some, By 25? Like, I don't know who put this in our heads, but I remember like I went to my first school for a couple of years, didn't get into conservatory. And I was like, it's all right. I still got six years. I'm like, what am <laughs> yeah, I talking yeah. about? <laughs> like, That's so yeah. uncommon and unrealistic. Like just... I mean, unless if you were like, I mean, you were writing at 11, but um, I'm, I'm not just talking about writing, but if you were being groomed as a child exactly. by someone who mastered a, a craft, exactly, I think that we get it in our head, but I, I'm going to let you finish your thought. I just wanted to say, I totally agree with that. No, I, it's, it's, uh, this is what we're talking about. I mean, but yeah, I, I definitely had a plan like, okay, 25, I'm going to blow up then I was like I don't know I don't feel like I really need more than 10 years in the rap game I'll probably like the first five years I don't want children or anything by 30 then maybe I'll like have some kids with my my husband my partner who I knew I would already have yeah (laughs) and then I was like oh I'll take a little break have my kids but I'll still be like producing and da 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 and then like maybe I'll and I think for me, the big moment, and it happens to a lot of us in the West, particularly those of us born and raised in the U.S., where we hit 30 and we're like, the whatever fantasy or whatever expectations that, you know, I had about myself or my life, like it didn't happen. And now I think because I, I always had a sense of my purpose, but now I feel like I'm way it's like what I was saying about humility is that I'm more clear, like my purpose is to be a vessel for, for whatever's supposed to be moving through me out into the world. And so part of that means it it's coming out in a way different way. Like for example, um, see now I'm going all over the place, but for example, like you know, cultural organizing and activism. I do, I never a day in my life like was like I'm gonna grow up and I'm gonna be a cultural organizer and activist. You know, and- this was not as a a judgment or anything, but when I stumbled on your you know your online presence and I was like, what has she been up to? And I found oh my gosh, like an endless endless links <laughs> of like activist <laughs> mentorship and this community involvement and I was like wow like the oh, wow I mean I, I just was shocked but not I don't mean that in a judgmental way I just no. mean like I know what it's like to be an adult and a musician 
and and try to be volunteering too and it's exhausting <laughs> so and mine is all fragmented and i felt i saw real continuity in yours and you're talking about mm. um finding your purpose and i i just really see that continuity there like you kind of know your wheelhouse and you're staying in that lane which is i think where we all we all want to get into that direction where it's like i see where i'm going and in our 20s that's really for most for a lot of us it's just not the case yet yeah i mean I feel like looking back, I under it's it makes total sense, but it almost was something that I feel I was resistant to because interesting. I think folks who are not like or cultural organizers or activists don't have a social or political analysis or, you know, are annoyed with like this group of people, you know, because oftentimes we could be very self-righteous and preachy and judgmental and bossy, telling everybody what they need to do. This is right and this is wrong. You know, folks who don't belong to this group of, of people oftentimes are, you know, roll their eyes up like, oh, Lord, here they go again. What are they... But I just want to say that, like, that for me, I looking back, I can see, oh, yeah, like, it, it was always going to end up this way. But I didn't see it that way because I think partly because of my class background, I see, like, when people take on the identity of, like, I am an activist, I am a cultural organizer, oftentimes... Where where I grew up in the Bay Area, oftentimes it was like the middle class people or the upwardly mobile people who took on that identity. Like I'm a righteous person and I'm making good things happen in the world where it was like the poor and working class people that maybe were doing good things in the world, but not necessarily like taking on the identity like I'm a this, I'm a that. They were just doing the work and getting it done. Um, and one thing I'll say is I think I struggle because I have a mixed class background, as a lot of people do. I was raised poor. I'm working class now, but my mom was raised middle class and my mom is white. So I grew up kind of having to code switch and being in that environment where there's more, I I experienced the middle class environment as more performative. Like I am a bit, even if you're like, I'm the senior director of all, like everyone has their titles. Whereas in the poor and working class world, I've noticed like people have their jobs and they just get the, the, the job done. They do the work and they're not necessarily like touting those, those titles. So I'll wrap this thought up by saying, I think I struggled as a young person coming into music because I saw like the more middle-class crowd to me being almost overbearing with like conscious music, activist music. And I felt like I just wanted to make music and express myself. And I wanted to be connected to everybody and not kind of put myself in a box. Yeah. So I resisted for a long time, really revealing my social and political analysis fully and like really revealing and integrating how I look at the world because I felt like I'm going to cut off people who maybe don't share the same perspective or have access to the same information. Yeah. And they're going to judge you based on that. And that's, what's going to cause that divide. I, yeah. That's hard. I mean, I, I don't know if it, it's hard, but I would, I would just say that like, that's part of the, the, the journey for me. And I think now it's w what I figured out that's different that I love is like, and this is something that's, connected to the ancient 
technology that we call hip hop, okay? <laughs> Which is that it's a it's a cipher. It's always a cipher. It's not just you by yourself in a vacuum expressing your thoughts. Although you might hear an MC on a track and it's just one MC and their perspective and they're talking about what they see out of their window, what they ate for breakfast and who pissed them off and how what who broke their heart and so on and so forth. But the thing is that hip hop as a whole is a cipher. It's always 360 degrees. It's always moving around and it's always a circle of people in a conversation. So somebody throws something into the middle, even if it's a song, and they say, look, this is what I see out of my window. This is how I see the world, blah, 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 blah. And someone else hears it and is like, yo, this is how I see the world. And this is my experience. Da, 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 da. And I think that that is the place from where I create now um, and why like the work with Black Gold Movement, having that organization and having these different hip hop and social justice initiatives where I can say, yo, I just wrote a song about the climate emergency. What do you think? What do you know? I feel like that has been exciting for me because I'm getting to learn um, versus telling people, this is what I think and this is what we should do. It's like, this is what I think, this is what we should do. But what do you think? What have you seen? And, you know, what what do you want us to do? And that way, I'm getting to like constantly learn and reevaluate my own perspectives and, and life experience. And that for me is like, okay, I can live with that if I'm in conversation, but I don't want to be on a soap, soap box, you know, telling people what they should do. It sounds to me like you've come into a place where people look to you for leadership or for advice or mentorship. And you have found that music, like your creative outlet, has been a way to make them comfortable telling you what they think about different situations and finding their own voice, not necessarily just to music, but like, hey, what do you, you know, I wrote this song, like, does that make you think anything different? And that's just a foundational, like, leadership skill that I think people need, at some point in their life, they need to find what's that tool that works for me to get people to, like, be honest with me about what they think about the situation. Because mm-hmm. um, without that, you, you wouldn't always be able to make people's situation easier. But I, I think it goes a long way when they believe that you understand what's frustrating them or what's not working for them. I think it matters. At least that's what I see in my life. Absolutely. And the truth is like, at any point in time, the way that we're seeing the world is through a lens. It's not, it's not the benign picture of reality, you know? And so the only way for me, like that I've learned from a lot of the leaders and organizers that I respect where I'm like, whoa, you are humble. And also you, you're really on point. There are people who literally will sit after a meeting and every, they want to know what every person in the room thinks. And they will take the time to sit and literally, well, what did, what did you think went well today? Are there any challenges? What's coming up? What do you see? And there, and I'm, I, I will say that like, that was such an astounding thing for me to come upon in, in liberation spaces, because I was so used to the leadership model, like one person on the stage up in front, like, this is what we should do. And this is how, you know, and so yeah, I feel like you don't get the full picture until everybody's voice is, you know, at the table. Everybody's at the table. Even if y'all disagree, I feel like it's better to like disagree 
respectfully, you know, than withhold yeah. the disagreement and pretend you agree. Anyway, you know, I could just keep blabbing and blabbing, but. <laughs> well, do you want to share like what what is the Black Gold Movement for people who might not know? Yeah, Black Gold Movement is an international community of musicians and their allies. And the mission of the organization is to reverse the flow of resources from the West back to Africa along the transatlantic slave trade routes through hip hop, storytelling, and music of the African diaspora. That mission in particular solidified when I learned a little bit more about the climate emergency and kind of learned what parts of the world were being impacted the most or what folks call in the climate and environmental movement, the front line, where I learned, oh, wow, the continent of Africa is currently the most vulnerable to the climate emergency, to climate change because of the history of exploitation and extraction of natural resources including the human beings, which we know, you know, happened during the transatlantic slave trade. So you have from the continent all throughout the African diaspora where African people were, you know, enslaved and taken and traded and bought and sold for resources. You have this kind of trail of like lack of resources. So we find that, 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 that's, that those places that have been kind of pillaged and stuff are highly, highly vulnerable during the climate crisis. But the ironic thing that was interesting was like, Africa is the most vulnerable, but actually the continent of Africa is that the, the, the continent that has the lowest greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. Right. You, you know, there's coverage today um, and yesterday about the historic flooding in Pakistan and mm -hmm. there's conversa similar conversations happening, not to deflect from, you know, what you're specifically talking about. Absolutely. But it's a second example of like, here we have countries who contribute the least to the problem, who right. are suffering the most from the problem. Right. It's mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not it's not at all like a deflection. Again, I think sometimes too, in and out of organizing circles, people might be like, Black gold movement, Africa, African diaspora, frontline the most. What do you mean? Like there are other places in the world. Like if we talk about, how do you say it when it's a group of islands, archipelago? So that group of islands known as the Philippines, which is like the colonized name for this group of islands also is highly, highly, you know, vulnerable. And so, you know, our people all over the world and we're talking every race of people, everyone yeah. is really vulnerable. So it's not, I, it's not at all a, a deflection, I think, but there is something, there's something useful when we look at the extremes, right? We're like, whoa, this is the place being impacted the most. It's the most vulnerable, or this is the most vulnerable place. And these are the lowest greenhouse gas emissions. Like it just helps us understand how these systems of oppression impact us in like tangible ways. So let me just say this other thing, which is conversely, the West, so the US and Europe, and I am born and raised in the US. And as I shared, you know, I'm mixed heritage. I don't take that lightly. I think it's, it's a, it impacts my own 
like lens, right? How I see things as a black person, it's going to be a different because I'm a mi mixed heritage black person, but I'm born and raised in the U.S. Well, the U.S. and Europe are the least vulnerable to the climate emergency and to climate change. And we are emitting the most greenhouse gases, burning up the most petrol or, you know, gas, oil, whatever you want to say. So that is just the important, it's not about like, and we're horrible. No, like, no, it's not. It's just an important thing for us to look at. And so that's where that mission of reversing the flow of resources comes from, because basically it's, it's this idea of like, if we know that there's this history that happened of exploitation, of, of murder, of colonization, um, and we're here now and we're kind of staring down the barrel of a loaded gun when we look at the climate emergency. And we know that we have all this resource that has come as a result of this history. What? Why not just say, oh, wow, well, I have five pies and you have one slice. Let me give you, you know, like, let's just balance this out. So that's that's the mission. And then I'll just follow up to say, people might be like, wait, but how are you equating reversing the flow of resources with music? But information is resource. Um, you know, having your voice be amplified across radio stations and stages and in movies and on TV shows across the world, that's a resource. It translates to money, but it also translates to people hearing your voice and hearing your story and hearing the solutions that you know through your lived experience um, and being able to respond to that, to resource that, to join in with you. And so hip hop is an ancient technology, but it's also a cutting edge technology. And we know this because in the 50 years that it's existed, it went from literally one teeny little like city to being a global phenomenon and the technology allows people to come to it in in this authentic way that Jason you could step to it I could step to it our grandparents could step to it and as long as the we are speaking our truth and really just being like yeah like I'm Coco like I eat sprouted lentils and I am really passionate about social justice Hip hop will let me in the door as long as I come, you know, authentically and not try to front like I'm something else or someone else. And I think that that is part of one of the aspects of the technology that makes it so accessible. And we we're in a time and a moment, particularly around the climate crisis, but many things in our society where we don't have time to spend 20 years trying to communicate like that there's a problem. It's like we need to be able to be like, hey, yo, it's a problem. Let's organize and let's solve this. And it needs to spread like wildfire. And hip hop is one of those, one of those technologies that can do that. You know, if ASAP Rocky gets up today and says, all right, we need billions of dollars to head towards this cause for, you know, climate, it will happen. If you take any handful of Megan the Stallion and I don't even know, Sweetie decide to do a fundraiser for reproductive justice right now, they could fill like a stadium full of thousands of people. And that is the power, you know, of hip hop. And that's why that's Black Gold Movement, you know? So there. <laughs> that's it for part one with Coco Pela. We'll be back next week with more. There's links in the show notes to her website, the Creative Wildfire website, the KQED article about the I Am Jane Rowe Challenge, 
and a link to participate in the I Am Jane Rowe Hip Hop and Reproductive Justice Initiative. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for listening to On My Own Dime.